I felt the need to address a particular theme for our church in the culture we live in, and the book of Daniel gives us great, um, as a great place to use as a kind of a base camp to launch into or launch from looking at this topic that I feel that we should really address right now for a few weeks. So what I've been feeling compelled to address is our need as Christians to be able to stand strong in a world that seems to be spinning out of control. Matter of fact, we're calling this series Stand. And every week is going to be something else about standing, about standing strong in this world. Because I don't know if you, you know, I think you're like me, you look around you and you say, this world is getting crazy and nuts. Now, maybe every generation has always said that, but it feels like that. It seems there's a lot of crazy stuff going on all around us. And God wants his kids to be able to stand strong. He wants us to be able to live in the reality of his presence and his wisdom and his strength from abiding deep within his kingdom. And so we're going to look at, look at that from the book of Daniel. But kind of as a setup before that to say that just not just from Daniel, but there's kind of put this whole thing in context. I want you to understand that the, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit over 2,000 years ago, wrote to the church, to you and me, about this idea. And he wrote about something to encourage us to stand strong in the midst of a world that sometimes seems to be going crazy. And you may be in your mind going to where I'm going, but I'm thinking about the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, the letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church. And, and this is what he said, and I'm just going to use this as a setup for going into Daniel. The Apostle Paul said this to his church, to us. Chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Everybody say, stand firm. Stand firm. You will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Apostle Paul says this. He says there's a battle raging all around us. And he says we don't really wrestle with people. Matter of fact, when you're in a fight with your spouse, it's not really a fight with your spouse is what he's saying. When there's conflict in your family at Thanksgiving because of Uncle Louie, the problem really isn't Uncle Louie. He's saying behind all human conflict is the presence of an enemy that wants to destroy anything and everything that is good and is aligned with God. So here's the truth we need to understand as we start this journey in Daniel that there's a real devil, and he wants to destroy you. That's what Scripture says. There's a real devil, and he wants to destroy you. There's a real devil, he wants to deceive you. There's a real devil, and he wants to destroy Portview Church, and Open Door, and Freedens, and Faith Baptist, 
on and on and on. He wants to destroy the things of God and the people of God. Paul says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, he's saying this, folks, we're in a war. Spiritually, we're in a war. And what does Paul say that we should do about it? He says, take up the full armor of God, which is truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation and the word of God. Take those up. In other words, surround yourself with them, hold them, wrap your life in them, and then just do something. Stand. Stand firm. Stand in the confidence and the power and the provision of the Lord in the midst of everything that's going on. You see, the message that Paul's trying to communicate with us is that God has given us what we need to stand firm. The reason I wanted to start here is because you could say, as we're going to take five weeks and talk about standing, well, that's fine for you, Pastor Mark. You're, you know, you're strong or you're, you know, you're more confident or you're whatever, fill in the blank. No, the reality is none of us is a match for the evil one. But in Christ, he's given us all that we need so that every one of us and any one of us can stand firm in whatever situation we may find ourselves in. So what are we supposed to do? Stand firm. And so the reason I want to spend a few weeks in Daniel is because we see over and over in this book situations where children of God stood strong in difficult situations. Matter of fact, if I was to say what the theme of Daniel is, I wouldn't say it's prophetic stuff for the future. That's in there. I would say the theme of Daniel is God's people standing strong in difficult situations. It's story after story after story about it. And I think the Lord can use these situations, these examples, to help us as we navigate the challenges of life at work and at home and in the culture around us. So let's see what we can learn from Daniel. Um, and, and the thing that I want us every week is going to be different kind of stand. The things that I want to look at today is how do, what do we see from the book of Daniel and how someone can stand out. How can someone stand out? And what does that look like? Because I think it might look different than you might think, especially based on a different kind of personality that you have. So let me give you a little background information about the situation that Daniel finds himself in, and then we're going to read a story that goes on in the life of Daniel and some of his friends. So the background situation, or the big picture that the book of Daniel finds itself in, is that the people of God, um, the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, are in a bad situation. King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked, rotten king, and he was the king at the time. Interestingly, God used him, um, but he was, a, he was a, a, a destructive, arrogant man. He was the king of Babylon, and he had come in and besieged, um, which means he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem and destroyed it. And he burned down God's temple, and he destroyed the sacred objects, many of the sacred objects from the temple, and he even took some of the objects from the temple, the objects of worship, and he took them into his own, his own false god temples in Babylon. And not only did he destroy the temple, and not only did he destroy the city, and not only did he destroy the religious symbols, but he tried to destroy the future of the people of God. The future 
of the Jewish people. So this is what he did. He took the best and the brightest of the sons of the royalty and the nobles, and he shipped them off to Babylon to indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture. His plan was not just to destroy Jerusalem, but to destroy the future. See, he wasn't just looking because he needed some servants. He was looking to pull out the best and the brightest so that the future of Israel would be completely destroyed because he took the best and the brightest out of there. The people who would eventually rise up and be the leaders and help the nation go forward, he said, I'm going I'm to handcuff you. I'm going to handicap you. I'm going to take your best and your brightest, and they're going to serve me in my kingdom. So with that being said, grab your Bible, power up your app, go to Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to read a, a kind of a lengthy section. I'm going to read a whole story here, 16 verses. That go on, it's going to start in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through to verse 16. You there? Powered up? You're not on Facebook, are you? Look at the person next to you, see if they're on Facebook. If they are, raise your hand. (laughs) Anne? Okay, she's got a paper Bible. Okay, that didn't happen. I should try that, I never thought of that. That was an inspiration right there, wasn't it? We should have a thing, anytime anybody raises their hands, it's because somebody next to them is on Facebook. Okay, now you're in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. People who care. <laughs> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, how would you like that name? Who ever named their kid Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. So that blows away your theology that says if you serve Jesus, everything always goes perfect for you. Along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the king of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, and at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. 
But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances be observed in your presence and the appearance of of, of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter. They say fatter with me. Fatter. What a different world we live in. They seemed better because they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseers continued to withhold their choice food and the wine um, they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. This is not a sermon intended to make you vegetarians because I think it was vegetables under the anointing of God. I would not be fatter if I ate vegetables. So let's look at what Nebuchadnezzar tried to do to these young men. Because what you're going to see in, this, in what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to accomplish is I believe this, you're going to get a glimpse into the enemy's strategy in your own life. Remember this I said, we are at war. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And so we're looking for, we're looking for things from the book of Daniel that show us about what's going on in our world. And I think this is a perfect thing. So we're going to get a glimpse into the enemy's strategy in our own lives as we look at what Nebuchadnezzar did with these young men here. So what was his plan? What was his goal? What was Nebuchadnezzar trying to accomplish by taking these boys out of Jerusalem and bringing them to Babylon um, and, and having people have certain things done in their lives? He was trying to get these young men to think like and act like and speak like and identify with the evil culture of Babylon. That was his attempt. So the kings told the officials to do certain things um, to and for the captives that had been brought from Egypt or from from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, first of all, let's try to change how they think. So he said this, teach them our literature. Teach them all the all, all the writings that we have. Get them basically to engage with this new pagan culture and forget about where they came from. Today it would basically say this, give them the full cable package and turn them loose with the remote control indoctrinate them in the culture of the time. Remember something about the situation. Sometimes we, we forget about the reality of the stories that are in the Bible. These are young boys. They're maybe 12, 13, 14 years old is what scholars believe. They're young boys. And Nebuchadnezzar's plan started with getting them to embrace Babylonian culture. Let's expose them to everything. It wasn't a godly culture like they were used to. Exposing them to a, to a very indulgent, sinful culture. Let's show them all of our literature. The next thing he says is this. Now also, change not only their literature or their, their literature, but thoughts, but change their language. So don't let them speak anymore in Hebrew. Don't let them speak anymore the, the old language of the God of Israel. But now get them to speak um, the language of the culture around them, Babylon, Babylonian culture, where there wasn't even a word for the one true God. And then he says something else. He says, change their diet. Now this is a lot bigger issue than you might think. Matter of fact, it's the one given the most attention to in this whole thing. 
Because remember something, these are a a group of young, scared, kidnapped boys. Remember that. Young, scared, kidnapped boys who think in their minds they've been captured. They're probably heading off to a life of slavery in a distant land. These were privileged boys, and now they're going off as captives, kidnapped, to a distant land, and they're probably thinking we are going to be enslaved in this place. But here they're being offered the king's food. This says the best wine in the country. I'm going to imagine this. A nice side of bacon with their eggs. And maybe at dinner a fresh lobster for them to eat. The king ate the best. So they're eating the best. A nice, bro- a nice lobster. Well, there's a problem with this. These guys are Jews. And a lot of food to, the, to Jews were forbidden for them to eat. They couldn't eat the side of bacon. I am glad I'm not Jewish. I love bacon. They were forbidden to eat a lot of this. They couldn't eat a lobster. It was forbidden in the law. They couldn't do it. And they're putting food in front of them that is forbidden. But not only is it just forbidden, in that culture, the Babylonian culture, it had been sacrificed to idols. That's what they did. The meat was sacrificed to idols. And so they have this food they're not supposed to eat. And it's been sacrificed to false gods. Because that's what the Babylonians did. So here is Nebuchadnezzar telling these young boys through his people underneath him to give up your past, to give up your religious values, to become just like the culture around you. But it didn't stop there. He said, give up one more thing. He says, you know what? Change their names. Change their names. We need to understand something here. The names that they were given at birth of these four that are mentioned, each name said something uniquely about their connection to the God of Israel. Each one of their names. I won't go through all of them, but for example, Daniel, his name means God is my judge. So Hananiah's name meant God is gracious. Each of their names identified them with the God of Israel. Every time Daniel's mother called him, Daniel, time for supper, no bacon. Every time she called him, she was reminding him that God is your judge. Not in an evil way, but saying, God is here. He's present. He's relevant. He's powerful. He's in control. God is is your judge. God is present. But now their names are changed. Daniel becomes Belteshazzar. His new name stems from the worship of the god Bel. Bel was one of the main gods that they worshipped in Babylon. So each time someone now calls Daniel, instead of Daniel, they call him Belteshazzar, Bel, the Shazar, it's saying, this god is your god. This god is your god. You're identified with this god of the nation of Babylon. Likewise, with the, with the rest of them, you know, Hananiah was called Shadrach, which now means illuminated by the sun god. That all of their names went from something about the god of Israel to a god of Babylon. Each of them was now identified with a false god of Babylon, and a, it was a daily attempt 
to convince them that, that the God of Israel was weak and powerless. After all, they'd been destroyed. They'd been defeated. But the gods of Babylon are strong because now you're a captive in our land. And you know, your name doesn't even identify with your God anymore. Now your name, every time I call your name, I'm reminding you that, that Bel is stronger than Jehovah. That was the plan. So we have these young men literally having their identities ripped from them and being forced into a culture that is opposed to the true God of heaven. And friends, isn't this how the enemy still works around us? Isn't this really what he still does around us? He tries to get us to adopt the culture around us that is opposed to God. He wants us to think like and talk like and act like and identify with a culture opposed to God. He wants us to give up our convictions and become just like everybody else. Become just like the world around us that does not know, here's the deal, that does not know the truth of God. It might not be intentional, but they don't know the truth of God. Does not know the wisdom of God found in his scriptures. Does not see the harm, the culture, the harm in living in ways that are contrary to God's ways, which God's ways are intended to protect us and bless us. And the world around doesn't understand that. The tactics are still the same. But how did Daniel respond? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, we should highlight, underline. It's one of the keys to making it. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Say with me, made up his mind. Ready? Made up his mind. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. This is what Daniel did. Daniel stood out. Daniel stood out. Daniel said, I am not going to give up who I am, a child of the one true God. And he said, I'm not going to give in to the ways that I know are displeasing to God because they will harm my soul. Not that he's somehow worried about making God mad because he can't. It's about harming himself because he's not following God's guidelines for his life. So Daniel stood out. Remember that there were a lot of other young men that had been taken into captivity, but we don't hear about any of those taking a stand. Because, friends, here's the reality. Taking a stand for God's way is, is rarely the easy path, but it's always the best path. But I want us to notice something. And this is the main point I want us to get today, other than showing, exposing one of the, one of the schemes of the enemy that we've just done. I want us to notice something. How did Daniel stand out? I would say this is probably different than you may imagine, and it's completely different than how our culture says you should stand out. Look what it says Daniel did later on in verse 8. He wanted to stand out. He made a decision. He made up his mind. I'm not going to do this. And then look how he proceeded. He sought permission from the commander of the officials. Notice what that says he didn't do. Notice what Daniel did not do. He did not make a sign. He did not stand on the street corner. He did not say, I have my rights. He didn't do that. He didn't go on Facebook and attack everybody who disagrees with him. He did not think he was the scripture police and whacking people with scrolls. 
saying, my God is right, your God is wrong. He didn't do any of those things, did he? He didn't condemn anyone that disagreed with him. Right? He didn't belittle anybody. He didn't tell anybody they're a heretic. He didn't tell anybody, you're going to hell. He didn't do that. No, Daniel kindly and respectfully did his best to live out his convictions within the culture that surrounded him. Some things he could change, some things he couldn't. He did his best to live out his convictions within the culture that surrounded him. He didn't go on the offensive and attack those who disagreed with him. Rather, he sought to live out a God-honoring life in the midst of a lost culture. This is what he thought sought to do. He sought to reveal that the living God's way was the best and the blessed way. That's what his goal was. I'm going to show you through my life that God's way is the best way. He's saying, listen, I will be the gospel message to you. My life will be the message. That's why he asked if he could honor God with his diet and then revealed that he was doing way better than those who lived in a way opposed to God's way. Because it doesn't make sense to eat vegetables and get fatter. God was blessing what was going on to say, I'm going to show them that my way is a better way. He stood out by being kind and respectful and revealing that following God is the best way even if it's not the popular or the easy way. He stood out. Now this kind of reminds me of another man. You know what it reminds me of? His name is Jesus. You think about something for a minute. Jesus changed the world. No one has ever changed the world the way Jesus has. If you look at, you don't have to be a Christian. If you look at, at any secular historians and say who's the most influential person, who, if they don't even believe he's God, which we know he is, but the most influential person who ever walked the face of the earth, by far, everybody will tell you, it's Jesus Christ. The most influential. He changed the world. But he didn't do it through condemning. He didn't do it through, um, through criticizing those who opposed him. He didn't do it through demanding his rights. He did it through love. He valued people. He understood that every person is an image bearer of God, even if they don't know it and they're not in fellowship with the Lord. He loved the hurting. He loved the wayward. He loved the lost. He loved the lonely. He loved the rebel. And he even loved those that murdered him. He stood on the cross for pounding nails. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do we stand out in a culture that seems to be going crazy? And it seems to be. How do you and I stand out in the right way? We love. We respect. We're respectful and we love people. We act in loving respect and kindness. And in love, we stand upon our convictions, even if those around us are opposed to us. And sometimes, we'll find out later, it might get you thrown in a lion's den. That's for another week. You might get you thrown in a lion's den for standing up, for saying, I'm just taking a stand for what I believe. I'm not going to give up my convictions. Some convictions I can't give up on. But we do it all in love. Now, maybe you're finding yourself in a tough place right now. You know, you go to school and you feel like you're the only one 
who knows anything about Jesus. Or you're at your workplace and you're like, listen, Pastor Mark, you don't get it. I am surrounded by the biggest bunch of heathens on the planet. Maybe you find yourself in a tough situation right now. Maybe you're a place where you are torn between standing out and just blending in. Now, I'm not saying standing out. You don't have to wear a t-shirt that says, you know, I'm standing out. Jesus loves me and he really loves you. And if, if you're smart, you'll follow him. I'm saying you stand out like Daniel did and you stand out like Jesus did. You stand up for your, you, you stand in your convictions and you live the life you know is God honoring and right. And you let people see the, the blessing of that life. So maybe you're in a situation where you're torn between standing out and blending in. And by blending in, I mean you're just going along with the crowd, which really is just compromise. My hope is that the Holy Spirit, we can pray the Holy Spirit will give us courage to lovingly stand out and say, God, you know what? That's not the way I want to be. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Jesus. You want to know something when you say this, when you say, I want to be like Jesus? Sometimes we misunderstand something. We have this idea that Jesus is out there somewhere and I'm trying really hard to be like him. That's not the way it works. Jesus himself said it was better that he, that he ascended to heaven because if he ascended to heaven, he would do something. He would send us another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he wouldn't just be with us, he'd be in us. So the Spirit of Christ of the triune God, lives within us. And when I say I want to be like Jesus, what I'm saying is I'm not trying to be like somebody out there. I'm trying to be like who I really am in here and it's just not realized yet. That the imprint of God is upon you because you said yes to God. And you're an image bearer of God. You're an icon. You know what an icon is? An icon is a, so in the church world, an icon would be some kind of a picture usually that has a lot of meaning to it. It's supposed to draw you to God. But we have an idea of icons of being just something that represents something else. An icon, it's a real the word for, for image bearer is icon. It means that you are an image bearer or representative of God. That's who you really are. Now we're cracked icons, I get that. We're not perfect. We're very imperfect. But you're an image bearer of God. And when you say, I want to be like Jesus, what you're trying to say is, God, I want the reality of who I really am in Christ to come to fruition with through me. I want to stop partnering with this world that's opposed to you, and I'm going to start allowing you to become all you want to be in me to make me into who you intend for me to be. And so what you're saying is, God, I need transformation in my life. Make me like the person I was meant to be, which is an image bearer of God. That's what Daniel did. Jesus is the perfect representation of it because he didn't have to say, I'm a cracked icon. He said, I'm the full deal right here on display for you. That's why he didn't have to fight. He was never threatened. He didn't have to fight. He didn't have to argue. He didn't have to put people down because he's just like, no, look it, I'm it. The perfect person. The image that God intends for all of you to be like. And so the way we stand up is we say, Jesus, blossom in me. Make me into the person, the man or woman that I'm supposed to be. And I know that's not easy. I know you can be in spots, you go, oh, Pastor Mark, guess what? You sit at church all day. You're right, but I haven't always. 
I haven't always. I've been in a lot of tough spots too where it was hard to stand up and, and stand, stand up because it would stand out. But you know what? God's way is always the best way. I want us to close today by doing something. Some of you are probably in a tough spot. And you're thinking, in your mind, the Lord is bringing up to you, you know what, I need to stand. Maybe you're not in a great tough spot, but God's just speaking to you and say, it's time for, you to, time for me to stand out in a loving, kind way that says the way of God is the best way. And so I want to just close a different way. Suzanne, if you were the worship team, whoever's coming to close would come up this morning. I want us to do something. Says, let's just sit with our eyes closed for a moment. I want you to just allow the Lord to show you your life. I want you to allow the Lord to show you those things in your life where you're tempted to compromise. The crowd is all going one way. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your fellow students. And you know the way they're going is more like Babylon than it is like the the people of God. I want you to invite Jesus into the situation right now. I want you to imagine that situation and I want you to invite Jesus into it. I want you to welcome his presence into that situation that's hard to stand in. Tell him that you want to take a stand. Not for him, but with him. Because he's in you. And he's your hope of glory. Now if you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to take a stand. I want you to do something. I want you just to stand up. I want you to stand up. Just stand in your chair, your seat right now. You say, but that's embarrassing. Stand up if you want to take a stand. Because I would say this. I actually wrote this in my notebook today. I changed how I was going to end it. I thought if you can't take a stand among a group in the family of God, you'll never take a stand in the world. I'm not telling you, I'm not saying everybody needs to stand up. I am not saying that. I'm not even looking at you right now. I'm just saying if you're saying, you know what? I feel the conviction of the Spirit of God and I want to take a stand. I want to stand, I want to stand out for God by living a godly life and I want to shine for Jesus in a culture that is lost. I don't want you to stand up. Because if I can't stand up in my church family, I, I will not stand up in a school system. I will not stand up in my job. I will not stand up in my family. But I just, want to, I just want God, I want to stand up. So Father, you see our hearts. You see our hearts, Lord. So many of us saying, God, we want to be like Daniel. We want to take a stand in such a way that when we live your way, the blessing of God is seen upon us. For Daniel, it was he ate vegetables and he got fat. For us, it won't be like that. It'll be something different. Somehow the love of Christ will shine through us. Compassion and mercy will be seen in us. A refusal to, to participate in things that are hurtful to others or hurtful to ourselves will be expressed through us. That's taking a stand. It's saying we want to shine. We want to shine for Jesus. 
So Father, you see our hearts, you know our lives, and I pray this right now. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be so strong that in our, in our reality, that we would experience your presence so strong that some of us even today are going to be faced with something they have to do to stand. Some person is going to have to go back to a home where other people in their family do not, they don't, they don't know you, they don't want to know you at this time, and they're going to have to go to that place and they're going to have to stand in love in that place and shine the goodness of God in that dark situation. And God, we need your power to do that. We need your reality. We need the fullness of your spirit to do that. And we welcome in the fullness of your spirit. We say, God, right now, fill us, baptize us in your spirit. Fill us to overflowing with the presence and power of your spirit so that we can stand. Father, some are thinking they've got to go to work tomorrow. And there's that one person who for some reason seems to hate you. Because they hate you, they hate everybody else that seems like you. And they make this person's life pretty difficult and miserable. Father, we pray as a family. We're a family. We pray as a family for anyone in that situation. That, Lord, today they would be like Daniel and they would say, I'm going to make a decision in my mind, in my heart, that I'm going to stand. I'm not going to hold up a banner. I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to argue. I'm just going to let the love of Jesus reflect through me. And I'm going to stand. Lord, A hundred different situations could be represented here. There are students who have to go back to to school, to, to, to middle school and grade school and high school and college tomorrow. Lord, so many of our colleges are literally just cesspools today. They are just strongholds of the enemy. They are Babylon. And our young sons and daughters go there. Lord, they need to stand. I pray this for anyone in that situation. That Lord, you would bring into their, into every one of our college students and high school students and middle school students and junior high students, you would bring another Christian who together they can stand strong. Daniel had, had three friends. Bring them three friends. Bring them one friend that they can stand strong together in the midst of a place designed against them. And they'll stand strong by standing in love. The courage to be kind. The courage to not fight back. The courage when they're slapped on the right cheek, they turn their left. Kingdom realities. Kingdom power. Not needing to retaliate. Because we know you're the one who's working it out. So God, I pray for every one of our college students. Some are visiting and are going to go back to school tomorrow. And some live here and they're attending schools locally. Lord, that take a stand. 
Lord, it's all about your power. It's all about your reality. And so, Lord, I would ask this blessing upon this church family. That we would so walk out of this place with the reality of your strength and your nearness and your presence. And that we would live lives of continually being aware of your reality. That we would structure our lives in such ways that we wake up and we're, and we're looking at your truth and your word and in speaking to you and in devotional ways of understanding you. And throughout the day, we're turning our attention towards you. God, in such a way that we're always reminded of your presence. So that no matter what we face, we'd understand this final thought. That when we stand, we do not stand alone. Because you are the one standing within us and loving through us. So I pray your blessings upon everyone in this place. In Jesus' name.